let me just say this, and, and I'll forget to say it again, and maybe our media team can make a cool slide that goes up in front of church services, but I, I like to stand. It just helps me when I worship, but there's really no protocol here. If you want to sit, you can sit anytime you want in service. You can stand anytime you want in service. You can walk if you need to. So maybe we put a slide there that says just worship the way you feel comfortable at the moment. But I'm glad you're here. The song that we just finished singing ends like this. Because I depend on his word. Did you notice that the writer Andre Crouch, he didn't say I depend on my emotions. He did not say I depend on my intellect. He did not say I depend on the past or I depend on what I've seen. He said I depend on the word of God. I, uh, I didn't ask my mother-in-law if I could tell this story. It's not about her per se, but, um, but my, my mother-in-law was talking to, this has been two decades ago probably, but my mother-in-law was talking to our former general superintendent's wife, Sister Haney. And, and Sister Haney, they had pastored, I don't know if they started it, but they, I know they built the church there in, in uh, Stockton, California, in a Bible school there. It's a big church, a phenomenal church, and they had pastored there for a long time, maybe upwards of, of over 40 years, if I'm not mistaken. And then the United Pentecostal Church, our organization, elected Brother Haney as our general superintendent which is kind of in charge of all of our churches across the, the North America and, and even, in a sense, uh, globally. And, and she was there, and they have special parking spaces at headquarters, or they did back then, uh, for our general superintendent. And so she would come, and she would pull in. And, and I don't, was it a BMW or a Jaguar? It was something like, it was a Jaguar. She had a, a car, a Jaguar. And she pulled in that parking space. You ever notice how some people are just stupid? I'm sorry, ignorant. We don't use that word. I apologize. You ever notice how some people are just ignorant? This, this, this person came up, Sister uh, Haney was telling my mother-in-law the story. Some person came up real condescending and said, well, how much did that car cost? And Sister Haney looked at her and said, just about 50 years of ministry. You ever ask somebody that, how much did that cost? Because for some reason, we put value on things that cost a lot. You ever notice that? I care less what shoes you are, but if you tell me they cost a lot, then it must be important shoes, right? You know, I mean, cars are cool, but if you tell me the car costs a lot, suddenly we, somehow we put value to things that cost a lot. How much does it cost? Turn with me, if you will, and I'm going to try to be cognizant of the time, but I, I feel to teach this, if you will, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 14, and verse 25. Let me talk to you a little bit about how much something cost. Luke, chapter 14, and verse 25, great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and he said to them, If any man comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it would mock him, saying, This man began to build... 
and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war would not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great yet, or yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, now remember, those are Jesus' words, not Brandon Buford's words, not, not, not the words of tradition. Those are red-letter words in the Bible. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said there is a cost to being a disciple. In fact, another place, and I think you can make this uh, 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 jump, he says, in fact, not only does it cost, but you got to leave everything behind to follow Christ. I'll tell you right now, leaving everything behind does not necessarily mean you got to just walk away from it all, but there's a mindset that I would if I had to. If I had to, I would leave it all behind. The book of, and I'm, I'm going to have to paraphrase for time's sake, so I'd encourage you to turn there with me, but I may not read it verbatim so that I can speed ahead a little bit. But there is a story at the end of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 24, verse 17 through 25. There is a story where, where, where David, King David, and all of the good things that David did, there's sort of two marks on David's life. The first is his affair with Bathsheba. Which he repented of. But the second was at the end of David's life. As he's approaching the last days. And he's old and he, he can't do the things he did. He, he began to look at all of the kingdom that God had given him. And, and he, he let pride enter his heart. And he said, you know what? I'm going to number my people. I'm going to see how many soldiers I have. And, and, and there's a problem with that. Because the book of Numbers, I think it is. And it says, or our book of Deuteronomy rather says, you know, after God counts you. You don't need to count yourselves anymore. Just know God's going to bless you. You don't need to know how big you are. You don't need to know what it's all. Because it's all, you'll get all prideful and big-headed. And, and so David got tempted and he numbered his people. And God began to send a plague. And the plague came in and if I'm not mistaken, somewhere upwards of maybe 70,000 people died because of David's sin. And David repented of his sin and the plague was stopped and David was, was at the floor of a, of a threshing place on top of a mountain. And David, the Lord told David, you need, to, you need to do a sacrifice. And so he looked around and he said, I'm going to do a sacrifice. And of course, you've got to have wood for a sacrifice. You've got to have an animal to put on top of the sacrifice. And so he looks around and he, it's a threshing floor. It's got wooden implements everywhere. And, and there's some, some oxen that are probably connected to some of those threshing implements. And so he looks at the owner of that and he says I want to buy this threshing floor and I want to buy the land and I want to buy the implements and I want to buy the wood and I want to buy the oxen so that I can give a sacrifice and the owner of the threshing floor says oh no my king you th th anything I have is yours just take it it would be my honor to bless you with it and David begins to realize and he makes the uh, the the connection that sacrifice ought to always cost you something that it is not enough for you and I to offer a sacrifice without paying for something. I, I remember it was 2009. 
uh, we had barely been pastor here, and Sister Buford and I were blessed to go to Tonga and preach over there for, for, for a couple of weeks. And, and, and those pictures popped back up through a Facebook memory here recently, and I began to look through it. But we were sitting there in, in, in Tonga, which is near Fiji and over in the South Pacific and we're sitting there around a table, and, and, and the missionaries are with us, and some of the, the, the Tongan people are there, and, and I will eat anything under the sun. I, it, it can still be moving, and I'm probably still going to eat it. You know, uh, In fact, I'm the guy that goes overseas, and people have to tell me, don't eat that, because I will eat it all. I love it. I love different foods. And they sat down a plate that had an entire piglet on it. It was cool. Well, not for my wife. She's kind of, she'll eat a lot, but when it has a face still attached, it's a little concerning. (laughs) I'm going to town on it because it's incredible. My wife is just eating it so that she doesn't offend. And there's a little boy, his name is Peter, uh, Peter, uh, let me see if I can say it, Peter uh, Savetti. He was probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old. He was a small little boy. And he kept hovering around my wife and I's uh, place. And finally, he points to this half-eaten pig on the table, and he said, that's my pig. I gave him to you. I was like, that's pretty amazing. My wife is bawling. She's, I mean, we just ate this poor boy's pet. But there's something about it. That young boy was not saying that. Peter was not saying that because he had lost something. He was saying it in pride. He had given his pig to the missionaries. He had given his pig to the visiting speakers. For him, it was an incredible sacrifice because it cost him something. You know, you know, there's twice. Now, I know different theologians may, may differ on this, but all four Gospels tell the story of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, telling the story of him braiding a cord and whipping people in the temple, and, and, and all four of them do it. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, put it at the end of Jesus' tenure, and then uh, John puts it at the beginning. So some believe, and I, I probably uh, hold the same opinion, that Jesus actually did it twice. That he did it at the beginning of his ministry and he did it at the end of his ministry. And I find it very interesting in the book of Matthew chapter 21 that he said all who bought and sold he got mad at. So it wasn't just that they were selling, it was the fact that they were buying it. And here's what I want to tell you, the reason is, is because sacrifices need to cost you something. Now I understand that they were going in there and they were handing some money and so thus it cost them something. I get that. But you know what? It just doesn't make the difference. It doesn't seem to feel the same when you walk into the store and grab a ham off the shelf and then give it or you take that pig that you've raised from an infant piglet and you bring it and they have to cut the, you know, somehow kill the pig and and do that. There's something different when the sacrifice truly costs you something. And so it was that the Lord was saying that it's got to cost you. You, you, you can't get lazy and just go buy a sacrifice. Uh, if you know anything about sacrifices, they had to be perfect. They had to have everything right. They, they couldn't have any blemishes, no broken legs, no scratches. So you'd have to take care of that sacrifice as it was growing. Something about it, it cost you something. We just came through our, our business meeting. I'm going to make some of y'all really uncomfortable for a moment. We uh, came through our business meeting, great business meeting, and, and 
part of being a, uh, a member, a voting member of the church. You can be a part of this church. We want you to be, but to be a voting member, to vote on some of the business. You, there's some things you got to do. You got to got to be faithful to the house of God. You, you, you have to be saved, and, and, and you, you got to pay your tithes. And so about once a year, I get with Sister Danielle, and I'll look through the, the tithing list and just kind of make sure you're paying your tithes. I don't do it every week, so nobody get nervous for a moment. But why don't I ought to be a little bit like Jesus? Jesus, who went to church one day, sat where he could see the offering plate. And he watched everybody come in, and they were dropping big sums of money. And then this little old lady comes in with two mites. Two, we, we call them two pennies just because we don't understand what mites are or farthings or anything like that. Really, it was two lepta. A lepta was a 64th of a day's wage. So I want you to think about how much you make a day. Divide that by 64, and that's how much that lady gave. But not only did Jesus watch, Jesus pulls out their tithing record, and he calls them out. I'll call you out, Brother Easton. I called you out Wednesday or whatever it was, and I feel bad, or last Sunday, and so I apologize. So I'll call you out again. He goes, Brother Easton, I noticed you made $100,000 last year, but, you know, you only put $50 in there. That's a big amount of money, but, I mean, does it really matter when you make $100,000 a year? He said, but this lady, a 64th of a day's wage, gave all she had. Now, I'm not going to talk about money. This has nothing to do with finances really whatsoever. But it has to do with this. That while our finances and the control of our finances mean a lot to God, it's more than money. It really comes to the end of the day, what does living for God cost you? What does your salvation and your relationship with Jesus Christ cost you? I will tell you what it cost him. It literally cost him his life. To the final drop of blood that came out of his veins, it cost you everything. But at the end of the day, it's not enough to say Jesus paid it all. I ask you today in the midst of this Sunday that we're celebrating, yes, Jesus paid it all, but have you paid anything? How many of you remember the saying, nothing's free? You ever told that to your kid? Sister Buford and I have come to the conclusion that having teenagers is expensive because their cars break down and they expect us to fix them. And they want to go out to eat after every service and somehow they expect us to pay for that even though we got plenty of food at the house. I'm going to preach it. <laughs> Nothing's free. Here's why. Because economy says this. In an economy... There is a producer and a consumer. The economy dictates that for both the producer and the consumer, there is a cost. It cost God to give us salvation. But there is a cost of relationship with him. Simply put, Matthew chapter 16. Let's go back to that. Matthew chapter 16 begins to say that if you try to keep your life, you'll lose it. But if you try to, to, to not keep your life, you'll gain it. I, I want to break that down, if you will. Matthew 
or, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9. Let's, let's try Luke chapter 9, if I can read my, my writing here. Luke chapter 9, he, uh, he tells him, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The New Living Translation, which is another version of the Bible I like to use, puts it this way. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll give up your life for his sake, you'll save it. See, let let me help you out. God's economy is not this. I'm giving it up for God. I don't like that terminology. I don't like the terminology. When someone sees your, your desire to live for God and they say, well, what do you have to give up to live for God? I don't like that terminology because it, it, it puts it in the wrong light. I'm not giving up anything to live for God. I'm giving it to get from God. Just like how much did it cost you to buy that car? How much did it cost you to buy that deer hunting lease? How much did it cost you to buy that pair of shoes? There are some things you would gladly give your money for. There's some things I would gladly give to him so that I might have love, joy, peace, goodness, graciousness. It's not about giving up. It's about getting. Now, before you think I'm telling you you got to earn his salvation, absolutely not. I would take you to the book of Romans. I would take you to some other places in the Bible. And I cannot pay for God's inestimable love and mercy and his salvation. I could never be good enough to get it. I could never pay enough to receive it. There's nothing I can do to deserve it. At the end of the day, I'll stand here and preach that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't deserve it. I can't afford it. I understand that. But there is a cost for me to be involved. What is the cost? For you to be involved in his salvation. I'll tell you. Number one, it's going to cost you your pride and your ego. Not my will, but thine be done. I must decrease and he must increase. It's going to cost you some things. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to get to the place where you, you, you put aside your ego and your pride because nobody likes to be wrong. But I remember, and I've done it more, way more than just when I was a kid. I, in fact, last night I, I found a quiet place in the house and I prayed the same prayer I pray very often. Brother O'Daniel, Lord, forgive me. It costs you to say forgive me it costs something especially in this day and age to say Lord I have sinned in fact it even goes worse than that it even takes a bigger cost than that because I'm going to tell you that true repentance is not just I've sinned forgive me but there's an an, an opportunity to actually verbalize what you did You'll never remember it all. I get that. You're not going to have a list and go through everything. But if your repentance only is, Lord, I've sinned, you, you, you've cut it short a little bit. Sometimes you have to say, Lord, last week that thought was there, and I begin to act on that thought. Or, or, or you know, Lord, the other day I was not nice. I was angry, and I, I know I crossed a line, and then I could go into deeper sins if you'd like me to call them out. But there's this understanding that you've got to put away your pride and your ego. I'll gladly give up my pride. I'll gladly 
give up my ego to repent of my sins and ask him for his forgiveness. It costs me to go down into the waters of baptism in Jesus' name so that his blood and his mercy would wash me clean. I had to allow, I had to give up my, my right to my own uh, uh, you know, life. I had to say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And his spirit filled me. You know what else it cost you? Now this one, we had a great conversation and teaching in our hyphen class. That's our, our young adult class. It will cost you your theology. I thought I knew it all. I thought I had this God thing figured out. Luke chapter 11 verse 27, and he said these things, and a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But Jesus points his finger at that woman and he says, no, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Simply put, I'll put it this way, if I could go from this verse, it's not about Mary, it's not about your pastor, it's not about your parents, it's not about your traditions, it's not about what this church has always done, it boils down to one thing, what does the word of God say? It's God's holy, unadulterated, unchanging word and it costs you. I went to Bible school, much like many of these young uh, people over here that are going to Urshan, our seminary, and, 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 and Bible college and, and, and school. But I went to Bible school, and I thought I had it all figured out. I took a book of Romans class. And I sat there, and man, I swelled up with pride until Brother James Littles began to go through it. And I realized there was, and there was some deep things that I was wrong about. Because it costs you. Theology, no, 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 walk with me for a moment. I know I'm not hollering and screaming, but I want you to hear it. Theology is the study of God's word. Theology doesn't belong to me. Theology doesn't belong to you. Theology doesn't belong to a church. Theology belongs to God. It's his word. Look at your neighbor and say, it's his word. It's nobody else's word. It's his word. And so it is that God doesn't conform to my ideals. God doesn't conform to my understanding. God doesn't come down to my level. Instead, he invites us to come up to his level. I must belong to him, and whatever his word says, I must do. That's why many, many, many times when I have preached, I didn't do it today, but many times when I preach, I ask you, how many of you have your Bible with you? It's because I want to do exactly what Paul said. If anyone preaches any other gospel except this, let him be accursed. And I'm giving you permission that if ever I get outside the word of God, you have the authority to stand up and say, Pastor, that's not in the book. Pastor, that's not what it says. Because I realize my I have to decrease and God's word has to increase. Number three, it's going to cost you your life. I'm not necessarily talking about a, a martyrdom. I hope none of us are martyred. But I want to explain this if I can. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 and I invite you to turn there with me. Matthew 16 24 
it, it reads this way. And Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is it, profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or, or what would you give in return for your soul? I, I hope I can blow some of your mind for a moment. Because I'll be honest, early, early, early this morning, it finally clicked. 42 years old, I've read the Bible a lot, and it finally clicked. You don't just read this verse by itself. You connect it to the verses preceding. You got to start. If you want to know the key to why Jesus said this, go up to verse 21. When Peter, when, when Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And, and Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then he begins to say, Got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Peter takes Jesus aside. I want, you, I want you to listen very carefully. I'm almost done. Come here, Anthony. Don't get a big head, but pretend this is Jesus. Now, I could take you a step back, Brother Norm. Go to a couple verses before that. Jesus looks at his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Peter goes, oh, I know who you are. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, man, upon that confession, upon that rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And then three verses later, get behind me, Satan. No, you said get behind me, Satan. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm Peter. <laughs> but Peter goes, wait a second, Lord. I know you just said you're going to Jerusalem, you're going to be killed, but watch. Peter took Jesus aside. Come here, man. Let me help you out, Jesus. Let me, let me level with you. Come on, let's, let's get together. Let, let me... Let me let me tell you what it's really going to be. Let me explain to the God of the cosmos what your word really means. You with me? Not only did he say, Jesus, come down to my level, but then he pushed Jesus, get down. Then he pushed Jesus down a little bit, and he said, condescending and rebuked him. Not only did he say, Jesus, let me level with you, but now he pushed Jesus down. He said, your word don't mean that. That's not what you're trying to say. This, this is, you, you're going to have, your plan and your dream, Jesus, is going to have to be subservient to my ideal, to my knowledge, to my expertise. Let me teach you, Jesus. Too many people have that mentality I know what your word says, but let me level with you. Let me explain what you're trying to say, Jesus. Now, now let, me, let me tell you what you should have said, Lord. Because Peter knew at that moment, if Peter was going to continue to follow Jesus, his life was potentially in danger. Because if Jesus goes to Jerusalem, 
and Peter follows Jesus to Jerusalem and Jesus is going to be killed, then chances are they're going to gather up the rest of the apostles and disciples and they're going to put them in that same problem, in that same position. And so Peter began to look at life a little bit. It was more of, 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 of self-preservation. And so Peter realized the current path of him following Jesus was possibly going to cost him his life. And Peter began to count the cost and did not like the potential price tag. He began to value his own life, his own plans, and his own future more than God's plan, more than God's word. That self-preservation spirit slipped in and Jesus had to call him Satan. And so then Jesus, right after that, gives this all-important discourse on the cost for living for God. So I bring it to this close here today. I'm, I'm not going to preach you into the altar. You're going to have to make that decision on your own. But as we stand all across this building, the custom of Lighthouse Church is simply this. We don't have a dismissal. They're going to come. They're going to play. They're going to sing. In a little bit, you'll see a slide go up that says welcome. But, but when I put this mic down, I'm effectively done. And I'm going to let the word of God the voice of God begin to speak. The cost of living for God. What does it cost? What would I give? Or what would I give up in exchange for my soul? I've already made my decision. I will give it all. You know why? Because there's nothing in my hopefully 98 years of life. Maybe I can reach 100. I don't know. I'm not going to sell myself short. I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe that I'm above the national average of life expectancy. But there's nothing in my hopefully 90 some odd years that's worth missing eternity with Jesus. I would give my all. So I invite you not that y'all are going to sing it again, but the very first song y'all sung was, I want more, more. I invite you today to be very careful. Don't just sing. Let's not sing, I want more, unless you're willing to give more. Because there is a cost for the producer, and there's a cost for the consumer. Let's not just sing, I give my life away, unless we really mean it. And so I bring to you this, this call of action. This is where it hits. This is the misery. If Jesus was willing to blow up Peter's arguments, blow up Peter's logic, blow up Peter's tradition, blow up Peter's desires, what is he trying to do today in my life and your life? What is he trying to rearrange and blow up? Is there some traditions in your life? Is there some arguments in your life? Is there some logic in your life? Is, is there some desires in your life that Jesus would like to rearrange? Because your mind and your brain got ahead of your faith. Jesus, if I follow you, it's going to cost me something. Jesus didn't say it then, but he could have said, yeah, it may cost you, Peter. 
but you're going to get to go through a day of Pentecost and you're going to see an incredible miracle. And then you're, you're going you're to walk through a, this temple that, that you haven't seen, you know, you, you haven't experienced yet. But you're going to walk through a temple in Acts chapter 3 and look at a lame man. And that lame man's going to be healed. And then one day you're going to go all the way to, to, to a, a centurion's house. And you're going to see the Holy Ghost fall on Gentiles. And if you'll just stick with me and follow me. And so I'm asking you today, what does it cost for you to follow Christ? Father, we love you today. Lord, right now, with my hands lifted, my heart lifted, I prayed this prayer this morning. I prayed it long before some of these even woke up. But I pray it again. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I'm asking you to look in my life. Blow up any tradition. Blow up any thoughts. Blow up any logic. Blow up any anything that I've read that I'm trying to put my own spin on it because I like what I say better than what you say. Lord, would you have your way right now?